You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and roll bedtime stories. My name is Brian. I'm Murdoch. We are here to uh, put to rest some of those crazy stories you've heard about rock and roll. Your favorite artists, your favorite uh, albums. Uh, did the things that you heard happen actually happen? We're, we we do the research and we let you know. Last song that you played or listened to is now the only song you can listen to for the rest of your life. Machine Gun Kelly's Kiss Kiss. No way, really? Yeah, which I'm okay with. Have you heard the new Machine Gun, Machine Gun Kelly stuff? Yeah, I yeah, I have because I was curious because I, and only because I watched the Motley Crue thing. Did you see the video of when he delivered this record to Interscope? No, no. Interscope's still a thing. Too. So wow. he, you know, I don't know what you know about him. My brother didn't know this because he sent me the record. He's like, this record's amazing. I was like, you know, that guy was a rapper, right? Up until like last week. And there's a great piece in NME. Uh, where this journalist follows him around for a few days and like hangs out while he's packing to go on a trip. And, you know, now he's dating Megan Fox. So he's like, here's all the books that Megan Fox gave me to go on this trip with. And it's like comic books and stuff. Did Megan Fox date Brian Austin Green from 90210? They were married and had three kids. They just broke up. Didn't even know that. I was just like, didn't she date the nerdy guy from 90210? So MGK starts playing guitar again. He learned when he was a kid. And in 2017, he's like on tour and he starts playing playing guitar again for fun and he's he's been hanging out for years he's been hanging out with Travis Barker and he had gone on tour with Fallout Boy so like I think there were gradually things happening that were pushing him in this direction but he decided he wanted to write a pop punk record and so with Travis Barker producing a lot of it he took it to Interscope and they put him in a boardroom and he said I'm going to play you my new record and Travis Barker put five seconds literally five seconds of this on Instagram and it's the greatest five seconds on the internet right now and this happened a while ago so this is kind of old news but I hadn't seen it until this week and it's Machine Gun Kelly playing his album and dancing on a boardroom table and the the boardroom is full of people who it's way too early and they really don't care about what's happening in front of them and it's amazing because he's full on jumping up and down on this oak table and everybody's just staring like what are we doing here and why can't we have more coffee before something like this happens <laughs> which made me think I'm glad you brought this up because it made me think in terms of rock and roll bedtime stories of famous delivering the package stories, right? Like the other one that comes to mind for me is Sugar Ray. Do you know this one? Yeah, but it's got nothing on the real one, but you get to go first. So I'll tell you the Sugar Ray one and then you tell me what the what other one you know. Sugar Ray had, I think it was, I think they put out lemonade. I don't know if it was lemonade and brownies or if it was floored that they were delivering. And we may have talked about this before on one of our podcasts. We but- talked about Nicole Eggert being on... Uh, cover that record Uh, yeah 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 yeah. so um they have to deliver this and they run through the office this is like a famous rock and roll bedtime story sort of thing the legend goes that they were in jack straps and jack jack straps jock straps and football helmets and ran through from like the entryway through all the cubicles to the back office, dropped it on the president's desk and ran back out without any sort of explanation. Oh, I, I, it's been so long. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I just thought they were, I just thought they were a joke metal band and they got really rich. We, 
yeah, dude. And I still watched them play so many times. We talked about this. We've talked about this. But yeah, anyway. The best Ozzy record is Blizzard of Oz, by far. Blizzard of Oz has, I don't know, Crazy Train. It is the tour de force of Randy Rhodes. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's so good. And so he was, and so Sharon was his manager. (laughs) And she got him a deal at CBS. And he went in to play it. And I think they played Crazy Train in front of this board of people. And they had like somebody, I don't know who it was, brought a, a bunch of doves to to like let go like, it, like it's peace you know they came in peace i don't know what the hell the doves mean but ozzy grabbed one and then and then bit the head off of it and there actually is a photograph it's hilarious that you would bring up ozzy because that's ozzy's actually the story that i brought today to talk oh. about oh perfect yeah and, because and he's never done anything right outrageous weird or interesting ever <laughs> It's not the bat story either. And in once when I was doing research, I was like, maybe I should have done the bat story because that is one of the biggest rock and roll stories that you hear, right? But like it, I mean, I'm going to ask you to tell me it's true, right? Like he thought it was going to be a fake bat. Bat flies out. He bites. He bites it. They went on tour and people started throwing bats, like fake bats and stuff. And one night he went and picked one up and he he bit into a, a live bat. And had to go get rabies shots. He said he knew like as soon as he bit into it. I mean, uh, yeah. th- that's that's crazy. And when I was doing the research for this story, I also found in passing some mention of the doves. So I, I didn't realize it had to do with delivering a record and also eating a dove at the same time. But the guy, just like we've talked about in terms of Slash and Guns N' Roses, like there's so many stories. Like we could do a spinoff pod that's like seven or eight episodes of just Aussie stories for sure. Yeah, and I mean, there's then there's characters. Sharon, Randy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, it, it's like he became... It, it's too bad that like the television show made him into like a television personality. He's a significant musical uh, person in the 20th century. Well, he did so many things, you know. This particular story I'm really excited about telling you in particular because it involves three things that I know you love. One of them is Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Sure. The second one is <laughs> the second one is Diamond Dave, which we've established recently. Uh, your love of Van Halen and uh, your complicated relationship, like most of that fan base, with David Lee Roth, Steve Martin, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> Bullsy Uh But oh, the gigolo, I'm just a gigolo. Uh, also, this story involves the great state of Tennessee, and more specifically, Nashville. Oh, well, great. Cool. I used to live there at one time. Yeah, sure. I'm really excited because you have put something together. I have no clue. And so this this should be a fun story for everybody. I, I kind of feel like maybe you've heard bits and pieces of this, but when I did the research, there's really only two sources um, that have the, ori- the originating sources. And one of them is, is Dave himself. And I was going to ask you about this as much as you know about David Lee Roth. So there is a autobiography that David Lee Roth wrote that was called Crazy from the Heat. <laughs> have you read it? It's out of print. Did you know this? Well, okay. Oh my gosh, what an embarrassing fun story to share with everyone. So that crazy from the Heat solo record came out. He put an EP out before Eat Em and Smile. So Van Halen, 84 happens. He leaves. They break up, whatever. And uh, he puts out an EP called Crazy from the Heat. And it has just a gigolo. I ain't got nobody. And California Girls is on it. Those were the two singles. It was an EP with four songs. 
and Coconut Grove by the Loving Spoonful is on there. That's a great tune. It's just him and acoustic guitar, and it actually t- comes out to be quite good versus like how silly you think it would be. Um, but I gave that as a gift to another kid that I knew, like my best friend, I think, when I was like in fourth grade. And I got made fun of because I had the price on it. Because it was like EP 595. <laughs> making fun of how cheap it was. Crazy from the Heat was the accompanying book that came out when the EP came out. I read that when I was uh, before I went through puberty. Oh, my yeah. God. Okay, so, you know, you can't get it anymore. So this you you have heard this story if you've read that book because this story is in that book. It's, oh no way! It's not in a lot of other places, and so there have been a couple of rock and roll internet historians who have unearthed it and done a couple of really nice pieces on it that we'll put in the show notes. But the the great thing about it is it involved the media and press, and so there are press reports and there are Tennessean articles, multiple Tennessean articles that talk about this that we'll get to this is really good so you 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 do have the research and you have the historical evidence but it's not a story that you hear tossed about a whole lot so it's pretty fun and interesting um cool cool tennessee ten, i mean you're an arkansas guy tennessee the tennessee was considered to be a uh, a paper of significance in terms of journalist excellence yeah. Um, you know, and eventually it just, you know, like all the rest, it got gobbled up by it was a Gannett paper, I think now or whatever. But when I was a kid, I remember that. I think Al Gore worked at the Tennessean. That actually might have worked at he might have worked at the Nashville Banner, which is the other paper. But the Tennessean was really well respected. So I want to hear all of your journalistic uh, excellence about whatever Ozzy and David Lee Roth did in Nashville. Oh, my God. I can't wait to hear this. I want to hear concert venues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all there. It's all there. So uh, this arrest the, record. I want to go. I will say the other book where you can find out a little bit about this is and I was just curious if you've read this is a book that's about five years old at this point by Greg Renoff called Van Halen, Van Halen Rising. Do you know this book? I don't think I, no I didn't get it there, there's that one and there's another Van Halen one that came out real recently that apparently a couple years ago that was apparently really good I'm going to look it up because I think maybe I should read it so read it. yeah I mean and Greg Renoff in some of the research that I did does show up as a source of like yes I had all this confirmed and I went back and talked to this specific people and made sure but before his research which I think is kind of what re- brought the story back up um, this was just kind of a legend that was floating around that was only confirmed in David Lee Roth's book so anyway without further ado let's get there right um so let's talk about ozzy and black sabbath first because first of all i know that you know a lot and um it, it, there's just so much interesting stuff there. So we probably will do more episodes that involve these guys at some point, but I figured we owe it to ourselves to at least go real quickly through the beginning of Black Sabbath and Ozzy's rise to get us to 1978, because 78 is where we go. And if you remember, I mean, you probably know when, can you give me the year when Ozzy left Black Sabbath? It's the Never Say Die record came out in 79. So we're real close. So, so this is yeah, near the close. end. This is near yeah. the end, and that's why it's significant. So a couple things I learned about Black Sabbath that you probably knew um, was, first of all, that Tony Iommi and Bill Ward had been in another band in the late 60s called Mythology. Yes. And they found Ozzy Osbourne because he posted an advertisement in a local music store that said, in all caps, Ozzy Zig needs a gig, dash, has his own PA. Yeah, he had his own PA, (laughs) right? So what a kick-ass singer to have. And Ozzy Ozzy at that time had gotten into a 
buttload of trouble at school. He he broke into a store and stole a TV and it fell and he fell and he ran out. He got caught. His prints got caught. Like Ozzy did Ozzy did time in a very awful prison, like a a prison where he did hard labor and it was really scary. So and he wasn't around like just sort of your regular run of the mill type of prisoners and he got he got out and he 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 heard the Beatles that's that's sort of the thing you know he wanted to be a singer so he had a PA man how funny is that Ozzy Zig needs a gig I just love that from the beginning he was like listen I might be a handful but at least I'll have my own PA I'm coming coming with something guys yeah and so so they call themselves the polka polka talk blues band at first and then they be just became polka talk yeah, then, then they were Earth. Then they were Earth. What a great name. And here's something I did not know. that Ton- Tony Iommi left the band in 1968. Yeah. To join what band, Mark? I don't know. Jeth- I know you- Jethro Tull. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He was Sorry, in... But you know... He was briefly in Jethro Tull, and then they just decided, yeah, this, is, this isn't going to work. Man, the uh, 1988 or 89 Grammy Award that went to Jethro Tull instead of Metallica, like they just don't even exist. They're just dead to me, man. That's Jethro so Tull is dead to me. Crest of a Knave, that was the name of that record. That's so, what he won a Grammy for. They, anyway, you know, do you know why Tony, you know why their music sounds so like low? Like you played guitar. Do you know where, where what he's done? Do you know why his strings are tuned down so low? Why? Like, Tony. He burned his fingers working in a factory and he just not just decided himself to tune it down lower. Like so that it would the tension wouldn't be so high and it wouldn't hurt his fingers. He he like burned them. And so his fingers were like kind of disfigured and it and I don't know if they were just flat or however, but it just made sense physically to his fingers to tune down and that's why black sabbath sounds like it's tuned down like two steps like it sounds doomy it's all because of what happened to him and if like he had an accident so by, by that by accident and he ended up playing the guitar different they, so they find out that there's another band named earth and so yeah. they, the yeah. the legend around changing the name to black sabbath i didn't know any of this is that they were uh basically playing somewhere I guess it was the rehearsal space and, and there's a theater across the street and they were playing the Boris Karloff movie Black Sabbath Oh, and they're I watching have- people line up to go in to do this and they're like man it's crazy that people will spend so much money to watch scary movies and so after kind of having this conversation they start writing scary songs they're like what if we write you know we know all this so we've been reading these Dennis Wheatley stories and stuff and they're like what if we and then there, there's like a, a Butler has this like um, dream where he's thinks there's like a black hooded person up, you know above his bed or something and so like all of this goes together to create a they create the song Black Sabbath before they've officially changed their name and what a song that is holy god and and once they kind of put all that stuff together they're like you know we could just we could just be the musical equivalent of a horror film like people will pay to get scared by Boris Karloff why wouldn't they pay to rock out to something that has a similar effect so I, yeah, my- and what a, and what a ju- what a punch in the face 
to all the other music that's happening. Yeah, in, in 1968. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. think about think about the summer of love. Think about folk music. Think about all these things that are happening. And then, meanwhile, they're like, we're just going to start the scariest band on earth. Yeah, the Monterey Pop Festival, yeah. Woodstock. That's what was going on here. That's like both the coast of like music festivals. It's Altamont, right? But but think about that. They they are clearly, if not, they're the originators of that sound. And I mean, it is spooky, some of it. And and I think that it probably were it was an accident with Tony, just a brilliant accident with his guitar. And Ozzy's kind of got a spooky voice too, right? I mean. It, it, They're a spooky band. It, it's kind of crazy, and I wonder how much of that is self-mythologizing, right? It's like you, you kind of walk into something, and then you're like, you remember that one time we saw those people that were watching a horror movie? Let's, you know, yeah, I mean, that's that's why we started this band, right? That's why we changed the name from Earth to, to Black Sabbath. But it, it does really make it easy in my outline, because I've noticed in my notes I've scribbled here, I basically, I got us to 68, and then we're going to go to 78, and basically the ride from 68 to 78 in my notes is just, the band then does tons of drugs for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did you did you run across any passages when you were reading up about this to see the amount of money they were spending on cocaine uh, in the studio? I, I did there, not I did not write any of that down. Do you, do you have any idea? I, I will say that... Um, just the Dis- Disgraceland has a really great podcast with Ozzy and, and they do mention it in there about how there is one album where they spent more money on cocaine than they did time recording the album. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. So now, now we're to 78 and in May they start touring in support of never say die and they decide to take Van Halen as an opener, which we've already talked about this. We've already talked about this in recent episodes about what a bummer it would be to take Van Halen on tour as your opener. And there are concert reviews to prove it, which we will get to, that Van Halen uh, was definitely way more fun to watch than Black Sabbath was on this tour. I mean, partly because Black Sabbath is totally out of their minds, right? Um, a lot of the reviews called Black Sabbath tired and uninspired and would would use words like quote-unquote youthful for Van Halen. I mean, it was just this real contrast that was happening as they were like heralding this new band and kind of this new era of music in yeah. to the 80s. Um that's some happy summertime rock and roll. Yeah, next to like band. next to the doom stuff that they, the Black Sabbath. It is so funny to think of that stuff being the the two entrees that you choose for the evening. Um, yeah, <laughs> think about the first song Black Sabbath's going to play, and then their opening bands like, <laughs> "Have you seen her? Oh, who get it started?" Like that is like <laughs> it's like so goofy, and then having to open up for black sabbath you get to pick one i think yeah i mean i guess you could probably have fun but you're definitely going to have a favorite between those two ozzy was so messed up on on this tour so messed up on this tour that he actually quit did you know this um i can't remember all of it but i know that it got ugly so he quit and they briefly replaced and i did not know this they briefly replaced him with dave walker who was in an earlier version of fleetwood mac and, and yeah, wow. and, and what? Uh, and so he actually, I read up a little bit on this and I didn't keep it in the notes, but like he, uh, he was in Black Sabbath and he started writing lyrics for what becomes the next album, like the album, the last album that Ozzy does. And when 
Ozzy came back, he refused to sing any lyrics that Dave had written, and so all of the lyrics had to be rewritten by Butler, which wow. is hilarious. So here, here's the story. Ozzy comes back now at this point. They're on tour. They roll through Europe. They come to the U.S. They're going to do the second leg of North American shows, and they have a Nashville, Tennessee date. The night before the tour stop in Nashville, Diamond Dave and Ozzy decide to stay up really late and do something. Okay, let me stop. Do you know the movie Forbidden Planet? It's a 1950s sci-fi movie. Who's in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just been, it's been ages, man. Eons, but yeah. So do you know what they call the people in uh, Forbidden Planet? What what do they call them? They call them the Krell. In return, that ultimate machine would instantaneously project solid matter to any point on the planet, in any shape or color they might imagine, for any purpose, Morbius. Creation by mere thought. Why haven't I seen this all along? Like you, the crowd forgot one deadly danger. Their own subconscious hate and lust for destruction. The beast. The mindless primitive. Even the Krell must have evolved from that beginning. Oh, yeah. Do you know that Krell gets a shout-out and a thank you in Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil uh, cassette when I had when I was a little kid and I always wondered what that was. No, do I you, found out. Do you know? Yeah, you know what it is though. Yeah, it's cocaine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it was a thing that started. I don't know if it started with with Dave and Black Sabbath, but around this time that was a shorthand for that. And so Dave and Ozzy decide that they're going to have a Krell War. This is like a thing that I guess a code name for what they would do. And they, they were going to see how much of that substance they each could do and handle. Jeez. Now, depend- like it's a bad idea, Bear. Always. Oh, what a terrible idea. What to do when you have nothing to do. Depending on what you read, I mean, there are reports that will say that they, they basically like it's it, totally inhuman what they did and that they shouldn't be alive. Um, I don't know what number. I mean, I'm sure the two of them have exaggerated it, and there's no real way to verify how much it was. Right. But we know it was a lot. And they end up staying up until 9.30 in the morning um, to see which one of them would pass out first. I, and can we stop for a second and say, kudos to David Lee Roth for having the cojones to go head to head with Ozzy. <laughs> And I, who said that was a good idea? That seems like a terrible idea. And I, I can think of very few people who would say, especially, I guess, with historical retrospect, like, yeah, sure. I'm sure I could I could go head to head in a drug contest with Ozzy Osbourne, of all people. I'm sure it's some, it took a long time for Sharon to to wrangle that guy in. I mean, I mean, <laughs> he tried to kill her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's another that's another thing that came up in this. And I'm like, geez, we could do so many of these. We're going to get so distracted yeah. with all of his other stories. Right. Because that's such a common thing. I mean, we both have tried to kill our wives. <laughs> I mean, what, what a crazy thing. You're like, I'll stay with him. Uh, also, there's like, remember in 2015, there was this whole thing about how they were going to break up. And I don't think they oh. did. But it was like, no. everyone's just like, dude, 
you've been together for like 40 years. Why would you break up at this point? Like every oh. bad thing that could possibly happen has happened to the two of you. Oh, you don't know, Brian. You don't know why they were going to break up. Ozzy was having an affair with his hairdresser. <laughs> And like, you know, I mean, how how smart do you think he is at, at being an adulterer? Like, he's just gonna kind of if he gets to first or second base, like he's never gonna figure out how to get back home. So, <laughs> like, he's just gonna get caught. I mean, he's an old guy. Uh, yes, yeah, so he got he had been having an affair with his hairdresser. What, I mean, That's why they were gonna break up. What? What? Like that? But I know. But like, regardless of what either of them did at this point, it's like, w- why? Why would you? It, it, it seems like there are no. It's like at the end of the Hunger Games when they decide to stay together because they're the only two that understand what it was like to be in the arena. I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> tell me about it. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So never met my parents, dude. They they gave up. So go ahead, <sighs> Ozzy. So. And Dave staying up all night doing way too much cocaine till nine thirty in the morning. They somehow get to the airport and get to Nashville. So then it's sound check. And Van Halen shows up and does their sound check and Black Sabbath shows up, but Ozzy doesn't show up. <laughs> and they call the tour manager and the tour manager goes, You know, actually and he's rooting around in his pockets and he's like, Crap, I, I think I have Ozzy's hotel key. I never gave him the hotel key. Oh, things get frantic very quickly, uh, given Ozzy's less than stellar track record at being a responsible human being. (laughs) (laughs) And and immediately people start to think something terrible has happened. Like there there is a, a rumor that starts to fly that he's been kidnapped. Who'd want to do that? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you do with them once you have them. It seems like again, that's like capturing a wild animal. Um, yeah, because <laughs> he's going to start talking to you, and you're like, "Ah, oh, man, no one told me, no one told me the target talks this much." The the clock. It's like what's that movie? Uh, the ref where he tries to like. I think it's Dennis Leary, and he takes that couple that's getting a divorce captive, and then he has to listen to him fight the whole movie. Um, that's a real deep movie reference. Sorry. So yeah. uh, at some point, it becomes pretty clear that Ozzy's not showing up, and so Black Sabbath goes to David Lee Roth. Hey man, do you, do you know any of the words to our songs? Like, do you think you could sing our set? And he's like, No, I don't know any of them. <laughs> There's no way I could do that. Um, so they decide. I guess I I believe Van Halen plays, but they have to basically tell everybody. Black Sabbath isn't showing up and they cancel the show. At this point, the local police has called the FBI and they are all searching for Ozzy. At the, yes. at the center of all I'm this, waiting. at the center yeah. of all this is, is Diamond Dave because he's the last person, as far as anyone knows, to have seen Ozzy alive. Can you imagine, Mr. Roth? What were you and Mr. Osborne doing last night at approximately three a.m.? We were having Krell Wars. <laughs> no clues, no sightings, nothing. Nothing. We took one of those mirrors off the wall. <laughs> then things are getting really bleak. They're in the hotel lobby. The, the guys in Black Sabbath are, are just waiting. They're basically waiting at this point for somebody to come in and say, your singer is dead. And... <laughs> Guess who shows up? It's Ozzy. Ozzy Osbourne. 
I mean, I guess we know Ozzy Osbourne lived for a long time. It's not like not like anyone is listening to this being like, oh, no, was he dead? But here's here's what actually happened. So they were staying in a Hyatt, and it had the the, the balconies and the, the big atrium where you could see up into the rooms and stuff. And, and David Lee Roth says, you know, like, at that point, every night we were staying in these hotels, and they really literally looked the same because I, I guess they were consistently staying in, like, some of the same brands. So Ozzy, he looked at the uh, key in his pocket, which he still had from the night before, and it said it was room 616, and he went up to room 616. And when he got to room 616, there was a cleaning lady. And he said, I say he said, he probably grunted, something to the extent of get the hell out. The cleaning lady leaves, and he passes out. Got a hotel room. Because <laughs> he's got a hotel room. And he's out for that entire day. He wakes up. This is according to the police report now. When he wakes up, he realizes he's in the wrong room. He toddles off to his real room and gets a phone call, and it's a detective in Nashville. <laughs> wow. What a bummer. Like, you went took a big, long nap because you had to sleep that off. So, and, like, so federal he, government's looking for you? He disappears at 9.30 a.m., According, like that's when he and David Lee Roth stop hanging out. It's six thirty the next morning, where he walks out of the hotel lobby elevator. Now, remember how I said that there's like actual quotes from the police because since the police were involved and the press got involved, there's like a yeah. record of this. Lieutenant Sherman Nick Nickens of the Nashville, Tennessee PD, is quoted as saying this during during all of this. He said. Ozzy Osbourne may have been kidnapped or been the victim of some other form of foul play. Here's a man who makes a lot of money and has never missed a show in 10 years. Get ready. He doesn't drink or use dope. What? (laughs) Why do you think that? Do you know anything about this man? He disappears and his people are so frantic. So it was possible that something had happened to this man. Oh my lord. Man, I wonder how much how much uh, the manager and everybody had to pay that cop to say that. That was great. So, <laughs> he doesn't use dope. He's not on the dope. So so there's a couple of amazing um, art things that we'll put in the show notes, right? Uh, there is a lot. Uh, first of all, they have to reschedule the show. So they come back like the next week because I think it was near the end of the tour. And so they, I don't know how, and knowing the stuff I know about the concert industry and stuff, and maybe it's just gotten more complicated, but it's crazy to me that they were able to reschedule it so quickly. Typically now, the machinery that puts these things on, it takes a long time to, to point it in another direction, right? So if you if you cancel a show in June, you're typically not making it up until you know, the winter or yeah, something, later. right? It doesn't, it doesn't happen quickly. But because of these unique circumstances, they actually come back and play the next week and i can i read you the concert review yeah yeah okay so, so this is this is the concert Sabbath. review of van halen and black sabbath when they come back all right okay thousands right, of I'm ready. T- what venue what venue is it by the way oh is it the miserable auditorium municipal auditorium 
It's the miserable auditorium. Oh, I have been there. Go ahead. Thousands of teenagers packed municipal auditorium yesterday afternoon for a makeup concert by, and at this point, the Tennessean was putting quotes around heavy metal, by heavy metal groups, Black Sabbath and Van Halen. Most seats were filled and hundreds stood on the auditorium floor, jammed up against the stage for almost three hours while they were literally bombed with sound. (laughs) That's not actually true. That's not bombing. (laughs) Judging from the beer cans and liquor bottles in the parking lots around Capitol Hill and discounting the possibility of a nearby football game, many were already bombed when they arrived. Oh this, my is, this is an actual a guy named Walter Carter wrote this. I will put it in the show notes. It's amazing. Um, okay. The makeup concert was made necessary when Black Sabbath's lead singer Ozzy Osbourne went to the wrong room at the Hyatt Regency to take a nap Thursday afternoon and slept through the scheduled concert that night. If the band had only thought to play a few instrumentals, the sound surely would have awakened Osborne. This guy is so snarky. The Hyatt is only a few blocks from the auditorium, and the problems of rescheduling could have been avoided. Other things should have should be avoided, too. Specifically, the words, quote, music and, quote, show in connection <laughs> with this concert. There was little from either from either group. Wow. That was snarky, stupid. Oh, I'm not done. The high point in showmanship occurred during an instrumental break in the Van Halen set when the band's lead singer, Diamond Dave, picked up a microphone stand, held it over his head, and jumped up and down. In appreciation, those on the floor raised their hands. There was no room to jump up and down, and many lit cigarette lighters. A few of the more appreciative lit firecrackers. What? (laughs) Is this a joke? The music, quote-unquote, he keeps putting music in uh, quotation marks. This is literally was published by the Tennessean November 12th, 1978. Uh, or November 13th, 1978. So, uh, the music was a steady drone-like roar. Osborne screamed over it from time to time. Van Halen actually sang occasionally. By a score of one to zero, Van Halen was the more musical of the two groups, but they were loud enough to hide the fact. Without the music and without the show, the only remaining attraction has to be volume. And if the crowd reaction is a fair indicator, some of the best volume ever heard in Nashville occurred at Municipal Auditorium yesterday afternoon. Great volume, in fact. (laughs) We wonder why journalism is in a state of disrepair in this country. Who is that guy? What a terrible concert review. (laughs) Yeah. Why send him? Why don't you send him to a book signing? I always got so yeah. tired of that, right? When when it's like the paper has one culture review guy and they send they send the same dude to like Romeo and Juliet in the park in Van Halen. It's like, guys, separate those things. Let a guy who knows this and unders and doesn't use quote and what editor was letting him use quotes around the terms heavy metal and music? Anyway. I don't know. Hey, by just an aside, the very first time I went to the miserable auditorium was to see Motley Crue and White Snake. My sister took me, and my ears hurt for multiple. Like I couldn't hear for multiple days. Wow, that was back when they just. I don't think they 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 did the thing now where they like check it on a meter to make sure that the decibels are out of control. There was no meter, no meter whatsoever. <laughs> clearly. If you speaking of making your ears hurt, if you want to hear this makeup show, the recording is on YouTube, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. I'm so damn excited, Brian. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that, man. I'm I'm freaking excited. Okay. So this is really it's really a part two to the episode about the Who, right? Because the Who was fighting a fight 
of a different sort against the Holiday Inn. This is like yeah. like we could if we did one more episode, we could call it a suite of episodes, and then this could be the oh. hotel suite of rock and roll <laughs> bedtime stories. The Who versus the Holiday Inn, Ozzy versus the Hyatt, and I'm sure that there has been some other hotel brand that's come head to head with some rockers somewhere. Hey, if you have a story that you want us to research uh, to, to get the details on, um, we're happy to do that for you. That's why this exists. Uh, send us an email. We are the story guys at gmail.com. Check out our other podcasts and other things we're up to at uh, we are the story guys.com. And what are we uh, going to ask people to keep doing until the next time we're able to hang out, Murdoch? Keep doing Krill. I <laughs> no, mean- no. <laughs> Keep telling stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright 2020. Boy, have we got stories productions. All rights reserved.